Matthew 28. It's been good to be in God's house this morning, has it not? I thank him for his presence. I thank him for the liberty to pray and to worship in this place. Choir, I want to not forget to make mention of you. Thank you for participating now in both morning services, 8 a.m. and 10.30. Let me tell you something, that 8 a.m. service has been set up on a new level. It's just absolutely tremendous, the service that we're experiencing together at 8 a.m., having the choir. He inhabits the praises of his people. And I so believe this house of prayer is dedicated for just that, to open our mouths, to preach the word of God, to pray together, and to live life as best we can following his will. Matthew 28. We won't get to all of this this morning. The next couple of weeks, we're going to really be focused on missions, what it means to be a missionary, what missions really is. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But this is post-resurrection. Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He's died. He's risen in power. And now he's taken his faithful followers to a mountain in Galilee, He's getting ready to leave this earth. The Comforter, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is getting ready to come. But Jesus is getting ready to leave and he leaves with instruction for his followers, his disciples and those that are there. Verse number 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we come back into your presence. God, we thank you for this service thus far. Now, Father, for a few minutes as we break bread, as we dive into your word, Lord, we pray that you would be lifted up, that you would hide me behind the cross, that men and women, those that are here, those that are worshiping online, Father, they would not see a man, but Lord, that they would hear the word of God Lord, do something in our midst today. We do not want to leave this building the way we came in. Change us through thy word and we'll give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. What do you think of when you hear missions or missionary? Do you think of someone in a far off land that's thousands of miles away? Do you think of remote villages, places maybe that you've never even been before? It's okay if that is what comes to mind. Not any of that is necessarily wrong to associate the faraway places with missions and missionaries. Uh, But today we're going to look at what it really means for all of us as Christians, followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's look at that word missionary and missions Uh, Some would say, you know, missionary, that word, isn't found in the New Testament. Well, not in perfect matching, no, missionary will never be found. But 
the word missionary and missions is from the Latin word misio, which simply means sending or being sent. People who are sent. And for us that understand and read the New Testament in detail, the Greek equivalent for you in your New Testament is the word apostello, apostello. And that's where we get the word apostle. And from that foundation, and this is what you need to pay attention to this morning in great detail, anyone who is in possession of that good news, of the gospel, anyone who knows the good news is sent to tell it. We are to be responsible with what has happened to us that our ears have heard, our eyes have seen, and our hearts have been changed. We are responsible to do something other than just embrace it and believe it. We are to tell it, to go and tell, to live it out. Jesus said, if you belong to me, you're salt and you're light. You're salt and you're light. But where does the salt come from? Remember, salt is the preservative. Light casts out the darkness. Where does the salt come from? What is the substance of that light? Well, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the light of the glorious gospel, as it were, in 2 Corinthians. After the resurrection, Jesus calls upon his followers to make disciples of all people groups throughout the world, teaching and preaching the gospel. And it's what every Christian and every church should be doing. If you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been given a task. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are salt, you are light. Here we are in Matthew 28. He's getting ready to go back into heaven and he's giving a charge to those that are around him. Would you take the good news? Go and teach, make disciples, duplicate yourself. Go out and do as I have told you. This is nothing more than instructions. But who are the instructions coming from? Who's saying go? Who's telling us to teach? It's not the Baptist doctrine. It's not your pastor. These are the words of Jesus Christ. These are in red in my Bible. These are the words of Jesus. This is our Lord, our Savior, our Sovereign, our Master, our King. And we've been given these instructions. And if we believe he is who he said he was, and we believe that he is the Son of God, we believe upon him for salvation, then would we not in respect and in fear, would we not then obey the commandments of our king? As I look at the American church as a whole, as I look at Christianity in this country as a whole, I see a trend away from the obedience of following these orders. There are obviously things that have taken place in the past two decades that's changing our focus and if we had to take all of this thought and these scriptures and boil it down and give this a title, my heart this morning is for us as Christians, as believers, to look at this passage, to look at the orders given from our king and understand that there is a real difference in someone who is participating in Christian consumerism versus Christ's commission. Christian consumerism versus Christ's commission. The commission, the charge, the orders, the directive. 
the thing that we should be doing. And for all of us as believers, if we know and we believe Jesus is the Son of God, we have that personal relationship, then everything my life includes, every aspect of my life should include the Lord Jesus Christ at the very top of the list. The way I raise my children, the way I go to work and carry myself, the way I interject myself into society, every vote that I make, every conversation that I have, even in the privacy of an online chat service, no matter what it is, no matter where I am, in every context, in every aspect of my life, Christ should be at the top of the list for all of those who believe. I've been told before, well, Winston, you made the dinner plan. You picked where we're going. We got there, you picked the appetizer. It's your world, we're just living in it. It's your world, we're just living in it. I will not mention the name who said that. It's not my wife. It would not be my wife, she's too kind. It's your world, we're just living in it. Who's ever heard that? Maybe you've had that said to you this week. It's your world, we're just living in it. Well, let's think about that. That may be a smart aleck comic to say to one of your friends or your family members when you don't get to go to the restaurant you want to go to. It's your world, we're just living in it. But if you think about things, you put it all in context, it actually is his world and we're just living in it. His desire, his wants, his plan, his purpose it is what my life should be consumed with. You see, uh, this is not religion. I'm not lighting a candle. I'm not repeating a prayer. This is a relationship. It's an all-consuming relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to be in the driver's seat of every aspect of our life. And if I put this commission, these orders that have been given to me to go, to teach, to make disciples, to duplicate myself, and I'm not doing it, then that's a problem. That's an issue. And when I look at the American church and I understand down to the very cellular issues, what's taking place, what the problems really are, I believe with all of my heart that this is the answer, this is the key. There are two issues that drive us away from being about our father's business. Number one is selfishness. Selfishness. Number two is disobedience. Flat out, blatant disobedience. What Jesus commanded here in Matthew 28, uh, the reason some folks become selfish spiritually is because this focuses on other people. The focus is not on you, it's on other people. You are to do the work, the people are the focus. And it requires someone that's on mission for Christ to be selfless, to be sacrificial in every way possible. It requires faithfulness and it takes hard work. Mom, dad, if you're raising your children and Christ is at the center of every, every single solitary decision about where your children go to school, who they're friends with, what they're allowed to do during the week, all of those things that we put in categorical lists, Jesus should be at the very, very, very top, but when we leave him out, things become a mess. It takes hard work. That is intentional planning and preparation. You're not going to simply stumble, trip, and fall into being into God's perfect will. It's going to take intentionality. It takes purpose. You see, I thought we we're talking about missions. We are, but all of us have been called to be on mission. 
selfishness and disobedience. Spiritual selfishness, if you're making notes, you want to write some of this down. Spiritual selfishness makes it all about an experience. It makes the why all about what can entertain us and make us feel good. We want church and our Christianity to be a place and a thing where we can sit back and relax. That there's minimal expectations on us as members of a church and as Christians. We want minimal expectations. That's spiritual selfishness. And in that culture of comfort being the priority, there will never be any pressure for accountability. If comfort is the king, if comfort is the priority, then what's the point of being accountable? If it's just about sitting in our blue lazy boys, if you will, of spiritual happiness, kicking back and eating a bowl of ice cream, then what is there to be accountable to? Well, we are accountable. We're accountable to be salt. We're accountable to be light. We're accountable to be on mission. And when we fail to do so, it shows the selfishness and the intergreed of our hearts that we won't even listen to Jesus and his words. Spiritual selfishness. Secondly, it's because of disobedience. This is why it's not a priority in American churches. American church culture is not found really here. This is not a case study for normal American church culture. Trinity Baptist Church is not the norm. And I praise God that we are a church that gives to missions and we sponsor missions and we do things outside the walls of the church. But the attitude, the heart inside can change in one generation if one generation loses sight and focus of being on mission. We can't be selfish and we definitely can't be disobedient. You say be disobedient to what? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, this is John 14, 15, keep my commandments. It's so simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't look for gray area in your walk of faith or how committed you're going to be to God's house or to the work of the church. Jesus said, if you love me, prove it. Keep my commandments. Follow me. Well, I've got an excuse list A and excuse list B. That's fine. Keep your list, but it's still selfish and disobedient. Disobedience always produces negative byproducts every time. You say, I thought again, this was a message on missions. Absolutely. It takes people who are not selfish, people who are not disobedient for the mission work to continue. And if I look at the church, this is my moment of Sherlock Holmes getting to investigate and dig down to the facts. When I look at the American church and I look at its trajectory and I look at the overwhelming mood of the people, here is the evidence that people are not being obedient to the word of God and that people are not being unselfish with their time, their talents, and their gifts. Because the byproducts of disobedience to Christ are things like dissatisfied people. A church that's not being obedient will always be dissatisfied. A church that's not being obedient or a Christian who's not being obedient will always be a critical person. A critical person. It'll always be a judgmental person, an uncaring person, and if you're not careful, a faithless person. We can become unfaithful to the mission that God's given us. This all happens when comfort or money or our time that we feel like we deserve 
and not the king, when all of those things take place, we get ourselves in a very dangerous place. Why are so many people in American churches sitting on pews and they're unhappy? Why are Christians who are supposedly within the perfect will of God for their life, why are they never experiencing the full blessing of God? Why is there always pressure and undue pain and rarely any joy? It's very simple because they are being selfish and disobedient to the word of God. We've overcomplicated it with things that do not matter. What can be done to change this? If you were to leave it there, it would sound hopeless and disparaging. But church, I believe with all my heart, this is not who Trinity Baptist Church is. I believe that God has raised us up with a heritage and a hope of continuing to do what God's called us to do and be who God's called us to be. But we don't want to ever become these types of Christians. It's not saying that we're better than other people. It's just that some really smart, wise, godly people got us to where we are. And now it's on us to pick up that mantle and to keep it the same. So what can be done to change this? We have to understand this. It's a heart problem. People that do not want to be obedient, people that do not uh, have any aptitude to do anything other than what makes them comfortable, those selfish people, there's only two solutions, unselfishness and obedience. Unselfishness and obedience. Uh, American Christian consumerism. It's a plague. It's a cancer. It makes all the actions, all the thoughts, motivations, intentions, and interests about the person or the individual. It makes it about me. That the church, all of us, the campus that God's given us, that the church and even the Lord Jesus Christ himself exist for me and my comfort. That the purpose is to make me happy. The church is to make me satisfied. Tell me what I want to hear. Do what I want in the way that I want it. That's Christian consumerism. And it's unbiblical. Commission-focused faith that believes wholeheartedly the words and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ makes all actions, thoughts, motivations, intentions, interests, it makes it all about obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes it all about following his lead and doing his will. You see, at the end of the day, it's not about me. If you ever get in a place where you feel like the world's revolving around you, take a step back and realize that it doesn't. It's not about me. Uh-oh. It got quiet. It's not about me. Well, I think we should be doing it this way. Okay, well, when you become pastor of the church, you pray and follow the Lord, and then you can have it the way you want it. Oh, no. See, God's a God of structure. God's a God of order. God's a God of rules and regulations. Praise God, because a person like me, I must have rules and regulation. I live under the fear of God because I never want to stand here and be by myself. We live our lives the same way. Following, pursuing the will of God. It's not consumerism. It's a walk of faith. Honoring the Lord. Philippians 2 tells us, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Lowliness, lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Treat the person next to you better than you would even yourself. Think of them higher. Put them in the bigger stake than you have on your plate category. Love one another. And then it adds this, let this mind be in you 
Because who was the greatest example? Which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus was so unselfish. He always put the will of the Father ahead of his desire, even in his perfect sinless humanity. He wanted the will of the Father more than he cared about the comfort of his own body. And then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, where the weight of the world is really coming down upon him, crushing him. He's getting ready to die. He's gonna become anathema on the cross, separated from God the Father. And he says, if there be another way, let this cup pass, but not my will, thy will be done. He did the work. Now it's our opportunity, our time, our pleasure to look at him and say, thy will be done. Lord, do with my life what you want. So I would ask yourself today, as I have myself many times this week, am I on mission or am I playing the part of a consumer? Obey his commission, obey his command. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up here in West Asheville on Clinton Avenue and lived over here by the fire station and uh, the park that's there on Clinton Avenue off of Haywood Road. And I can remember something that my dad would tell me quite often because I had a listening problem. Who's ever had a listening problem? Good, we ought to start a group. Listeners Anonymous, all of us together. I had a real problem listening. He's over there somewhere shouting, shaking his head, doing something. I've lost my dad. But he would look at me and say, son, when I tell you to do something, He'd snap his fingers so loud. Brother Paul, it was the loudest snap I've ever heard in my life. It sounded like his bones were breaking. Scared me to death. He'd snap them fingers. Son, when I tell you to do something, do it. As a matter of fact, if I ask you to jump, you say, how high? I wouldn't argue after that. And if I respect my earthly father as much as I do, that even to this day, I'm his pastor, but when he tells me to do something, I may not like it. I may not want to hear it, but something inside of me goes, oh, I better listen. It's my dad. If that's my earthly father, who's not a perfect man, but who loves me enough to tell me the truth, then what should I do with the words, the commission, the orders of the, the, the son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords? What should I do with his expectations for my life? He says, jump. We say, how high? What do you want of me today, Lord? Well, pastor, I pay my tithe, I show up when I can, and that's good enough. In love, with all the love in my heart, in 2022, no sir, no ma'am, it's not. See, I need you, you need me, we all need to be together, we have to worship, we have to pray together, and we have to carry the burden of being on mission as a church. And maybe you're here this morning and God is convicting your heart. It's obvious that you're in a season of consumerism and it's time to get on mission. How do you do such? I'm glad you asked. Number one, you have to be obedient to pray. Obedience to prayer. This is where this all starts for believers. Prayer life keeps you in line with the marching orders from headquarters. How are you to know what to do and when to do it if you're not asking the boss for the marching orders? Well, where are the marching orders? Within the word of God and taking the word of God into prayer and asking God to open your heart, open your mind and to give you peace about the decisions that you make. It brings balance to your life and it allows you to take the burdens and the worry and the pain of life and you lay it at the feet of Jesus and you let him have it so that you can get back on mission Get focused on what really matters. 
Well, I've been church hurt. Someone hurt my feelings. Would you put it at the feet of Jesus so that can stop being a distraction so you can get back on mission? Well, I'm not really sure about this or that. I, I need to be real careful over the next few months and just stay quiet. No, this is not the time to circle the wagons. This is the time to be on mission. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming at any moment the trumpet could sound and he could return. I don't want to be found over in the corner licking my wounds and trying to figure out if I can be a part of something. I want to be on mission. I want to be doing what he's called me to do. And here are a few things you can pray for. You can pray for more laborers, more people to get on mission. Luke 10:2. Therefore said he to them, the harvest is truly great. But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. We need more people on mission and to break the chains of Christian consumerism where it's so comfortable, so easy, and it has no accountability. We need more people serving, more people giving, more people loving those that are in this church. And then we have to pray together for unity because why? Why do we have to pray for unity? We're all people. We're all people. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. This is not a trophy room. This is not a trophy room. This is not a Maserati showroom. There's nothing to look at here. We're looking at sinners, broken, sick, destitute people who were saved by grace. Of course I can hurt your feelings. Of course I can let you down. I'm a human being, so are you. So what do we do then? What's the solution? We must pray for unity because mission-minded Christians get over the things that do not matter with eternity at stake. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I beseech you, brethren, if you're a Christian, say amen. All right, this is for you. Now I beseech you, Trinity Baptist Church, the brethren, the sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. Why? Because people are dying and going to hell and they need to hear the good news. But that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We must be unified in our efforts for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, this becomes a hamster wheel eight or nine or 10 or 12 or 14 or 100 or 600 different little hamster wheels. They're making a lot of noise. The hamster's cute. He's pedaling as fast as he can. Those little short legs. That wheel's going 170 miles an hour. But where's that wheel actually going? Nowhere. It looks pretty. It looks cool. Maybe even the wheel's got some lights on it. Maybe that hamster has set himself up a smoke show and a light show and a laser show and he's got music and when his little wheel goes, it's like, it's like nothing you've ever seen. It's Walt Disney and that wheel's just moving. And it's pretty and it looks good, but at the end of the day, it gets us nowhere. We've got to be hitched up to the same wagon pulling together. Why? Not because of pride, not because of a name, not because of a denomination, but because the mission, the commission given to us by Christ is the priority for our lives. To tell others the good news. Secondly, we must be obedient to give. Obedience in giving is vital for this. 
Obedience and giving. A balanced prayer life will always lead you to being a generous person with a commitment to support the ministries, the efforts, and the work of the church. When you put your tithe and your offering in the offering plate, if you've got my face in your heart when you give, you're not giving from a heart that's correct. If you're giving because you think it'll make Ralph proud, look out now. Giving a gift is an act of worship to a holy, 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 holy God. And the only reason I'm able to bring something to the Lord Jesus and give it in his name, not in Winston's name, not in the church's name, but in the name of Jesus I give. And I bring to the storehouse so that missionaries can keep their lights bill paid so missionaries can keep food on their family's table, so that churches in Africa can be built, so that the ministries here in the church can even go forward and go on and carry the load of all that we do because there are lives at stake. We're not trying to build a great kingdom here for the glory of man. We're trying to do what God's called us to do for the glory of Jesus Christ, the fact that lives are on the line. And our prayer life, will lead you to give from a heart that's correct. That Lord, thank you for taking something like money, so simple as money, and taking it and honoring it as an act of worship. 1 Corinthians 16, the first two verses, look at this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, that Sunday, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul said, get your offerings in, do it every Sunday, the first day of the week, so that when I come, we can be about our Father's business. But every one of you, according to the blessings that God has prospered you, give from a heart that's grateful, that's thankful. You say, well, pastor, I don't have a lot to give. God is not interested in the amount of your gift. He is interested in the heart of the giver. And if all you have been blessed with is $5, then praise God, put your $5 in the plate and say, Lord, I love you, I worship you, I magnify your name. And that gift for $5 to the Lord will bring as much honor and glory and praise to his name as the person who's able to give $5,000. God is not interested in the amount. God's interested in your heart. He asks us, He pleads with us, give on the first day. And you know, church, we will prove where our heart is by where we store our treasure. We will prove how much this ministry and its furtherance means to us by the heart, the indication of the heart. And each and every week you go to the back of our bulletin and you see people who are right with God giving from a place that's correct. And I praise his holy name. Obedience to give. Thirdly, obedience to action. You may not be called to be a missionary, to go to Malawi, to go to the United Arab Emirates, to go to China, Pakistan. You may never see those places with the gospel in heart or in mind. It may be before you get to heaven 
that you meet those brothers and sisters at the Bible college. And one day, praise the Lord, we're going to have us a worship service. And I'm not going to need a translator and I'm not going to look at you and have to understand and you're not going to have to look at me and try to understand. We're going to be able to hear each other, speak clearly to one another and in one voice in unison Praise our Lord Jesus Christ around the throne. If I could have just 10 or 15 minutes with you when I get there, I'd love that, Brother Navigator, me and you. I want 10 or 15 minutes just to start around the throne. We'll be there together. And it may be till heaven that the fruit of all of this giving, the generations of giving faithfully, may be heaven before we see it. But you can't go to Africa. Not all of us can get on a plane tomorrow and go to Africa. But what can we do? Well, you don't have to go to Africa to tell someone about Jesus. Do you realize that you can tell people about Jesus that you go to school with, that you go to work with? Does your neighbor know that you're saved, that you're born again and on your way to heaven? If there's a place where you come and there's a wall there, and maybe it's shame or guilt, or maybe it's just that it's pressure. I'm not a good talker. I don't know what to say. Can I tell you what the best thing to do is? The greatest action you can begin with as you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior is to tell them your story. Tell them your story. It's the greatest. You can tell your story better than anyone. But tell them about what you were before Jesus and now that you live in the grace and the knowledge and that you have a gift that was given to you freely that you're on your way to heaven and that you'll never ever have to understand or know what it is to be separated from God. Not because of you or your works or because of a baptismal pool but because Jesus called you from death unto life, from darkness unto light and he saved you. Tell them your story. Get to work, church. Jesus is coming soon. It could be before we get home today, the trumpet of God could sound. The dead in Christ would rise. Those that are alive and remaineth, we would be called up to be with him. I long for that day. I long for that day. But until he comes, church, we are to be about our Father's business. And rather than being a consumer, a Christian consumer, is it time today that you inspect your heart and ask God to help you get focused to get on mission? Someone can help me on the piano as we close. Go to this verse 20. I want to encourage you with this before we leave. Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Read that with me. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The word lo, L-O, it's an archaic word. It's used to draw attention to something that's an amazing event. That's the definition of the word lo. He said, lo, I'm with you always. He's getting your attention. I hope he has your attention this morning. He, he's given these instructions. He's told them what to do. And then now he's pointing them to something that's amazing. He says, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. A great man of God that's preached here before, his name's John Phillips. I read what he thinks of this verse, his commentary. Listen to what this man of God said. He said, we are not called to go alone to city slums. 
We are not called to go alone to Arctic wastes or equatorial jungles. We are not called to go alone into college campuses or our own neighborhoods. That task would be impossible if go were the only word. So the Lord Jesus added, lo, he promised, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. It's a promise that he made you, that he will equip you, he will use you if you'll just be obedient to be who he's called you to be. You say, well, I have a lisp. I'm not able to put faults together easily. If you'll just step out in faith and tell your story to one person, God may do something through your faithfulness you cannot imagine. Is the next Ralph Sexton waiting somewhere in the, in the shadows, waiting for someone to witness to him? to tell him the good news? Is the next Billy Graham waiting somewhere? Are there great women of faith that will uphold the church and pray for their families and lead their families that are waiting in the shadows? And it's just gonna be that the church will have to wake up and start telling the good news again before they come to faith. What is God going to do with your faithfulness to tell your story, to give sacrificially even to the mission work of this church? You see, little is much when God is in it. And next week, we're gonna take up this faith promise card. I hope everyone got one of these as they came in. If you didn't, make sure you get one as you go. Next week, we're gonna come together for worship. And we're gonna be praying all week long. God, what would you have me give each week to faith promise, to missions, this is for international missions, national missions, our missions department that supports over 150 different missionaries all over the world. And it's gonna take all of us. But I don't want you to fill this out today. I don't want you to fill this out and just put what you normally put. I want you to take this and I want you to pray over it all week long. Ask God to show you what you can do. Husbands and wives, we're gonna ask you to do it individually that by faith, God will answer what he puts in your heart. This is a faith building moment for us. You say, well, it doesn't make sense for me to do what I feel like he wants me to do. God wants me to give $25 a week to faith promise, but I don't have it in faith. Step out, trust him, and allow him to do what only he can so that every missionary, every ministry that we support continues to get the money that we send them. And then from this, we'll be able to build our budget, assess if we're able to take on more evangelists, more missionaries. And God knows that if we'll all be faithful, we'll match what's needed and we'll exceed to be able to add more. God the Father has done his part. He sent his son. Jesus Christ the Son has accomplished his task and the Holy Ghost of God is ever at work in his official capacity doing what he does, convicting and comforting. Now, church, what will you do for the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's break the chains today of consumerism. Ask God to give us a heart to be men and women of faith who are following the orders on mission from the Great Commission from Jesus Christ himself. Holy Father, in Jesus' name, take these words. God, take your holy word. God, change our hearts, change our minds. God, use this moment today, God, for your glory. God, we love you. We thank you for the service that we've experienced here. God, this morning at eight, 
God, for our Bible study classes together. Lord, for what you did in this service. We're so thankful for all that you've done, for all that you've accomplished, for the baptisms that took place. God, thank you for those two precious children. Lord, we worship you for what you are doing in our church. God, I pray that you would protect hearts and minds, attitudes and perceptions. God, keep us in your perfect will. And Lord, as we come together tonight in our homes, God, I pray that we would be faithful to read the word of God, to pray one for another. Lord, that we would be tender to your leadership for our lives as we seek out your kingdom, your work, your vision for our church. It's in Jesus' name the church prayed together. Amen. Amen.